All right, Ricky, tell me who you are, where you're from, and like tell me just like a quick summary of your upbringing in the church. Okay. Um, my name is Ricky Pullen. I'm 28 years old, uh, born in Las Vegas, Nevada, and have been raised Mormon my entire life. It was, I, I laugh now because I, I thought that, you know, being raised as a Mormon in Las Vegas kind of made you more of a, a worldly Mormon, I guess. I don't really know how else to describe that, but I always thought that it just kind of gave us an interesting perspective that, you know, look, there's, there's all the terrible awfulness of the world, and here we are looking down upon it from the temple. <laughs> um, you're not truly happy unless you're exactly, with us. Exactly, exactly. Um, no, but I, I think that I had a, I, I, I not think, I know, I, I had a really happy childhood. I was really close with my family. Um, was kind of a little bit of a weird kid. Um, I was kind of a boring teenager. I didn't have a curfew because my parents knew that I wasn't creative enough to come up with anything like really stupid to get myself into trouble. So <laughs> that's way good. Um, yeah, went to BYU, um, served my mission in the Denmark Copenhagen mission, which was where we know each other yes, from, which is where we know each other from. And I'm so grateful we do. It's most excellent. Yes. Um, came home, um, graduated from BYU in IT and cybersecurity with my minor in computer science. Holy crap. And you did? Yeah. Oh, you're and so smart. now I work for Microsoft. You live a good life. I'm pretty, I'm pretty dang blessed. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to say up front that, um, I don't know what questions you have prepared and I'm have not necessarily like fully processed through everything. So some of the answers may you know be like pending <laughs> i like it good okay. i'm actually happy that you haven't fully processed okay the whole point of this is not for like i figured it all out where i am and like let's be done yes exactly because as we were I discussing have all the answers right those are that, sweet socks by the way i know star wars yeah but like as we were discussing prior to recording it's you know the world is gray our human existence is all about ambiguity so what um, would you say that you've experienced or are going through a faith crisis? Yes. Okay. Help us dis describe for us so we know, like, where, what was your testimony like before your faith crisis? Like, like basically, how, <laughs> how Mormon were you? <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh. I think... So I was the kid who was the deacon's quorum president and the teacher's quorum president and the bishop's first assistant and elder's quorum president multiple times. Um, elder's quorum's president? Yep, elder's quorum president multiple times. Zone wow. leader, district leader, AP on my mission. Um, I, was, I was fully in. Dude, you've been like everything except for bishop. Thank goodness. <laughs> I'd have been one weird, messed up bishop. <laughs> but y yeah, it so was, I was I was in. I was in. And to be totally honest, I think a part of me still is. So the church was true for you, or still is true for you? I think parts of it are still true for me, yeah. But before your faith crisis? Before my faith crisis, I was 100% in. 
I knew I knew that we had some stuff in the history books that didn't really make sense to me. Um, also, like we were talking about earlier before we were recording, polygamy was a big concern of mine. But it was just kind of one of those things that I, I thought, you know, this I don't have to think about this. It's not an active problem for me right now. So I don't really have to figure this one out. And just on the note of polygamy, for me, you know, before my faith crisis, I was also 100% in church. I could say the church, I knew the church was true. Like I yeah. knew Joseph Smith was a prophet. Yeah, me too. Stuff like that. And polygamy for me was just like, oh, that was just that thing that ended in 1890. We don't, like, we're not polygamists exactly. at all anymore. And that's what I taught on my mission. That's exactly it. Same here. Yeah. And I feel hypocritical that I taught that because, like, now after go- having going through, have, have, have gone through and going through a faith crisis, I'm like, oh, polygamy is still here. Yeah. Um, so let's contrast that to before your faith crisis, you knew the church is true. You knew Joseph Smith was a prophet. You were 100% in. Like, Mormonism was your life. How does that compare to now? Give us, like, a, like a quick summary of where you're at right now in terms of your faith. Um, I know there's a God. I believe in an afterlife. Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. Um, I believe, and this is, I think, a part that this was kind of the beginning of the shattering of my faith, but um, I believe that we can communicate with him through prayer. Um, like I said, that, and I don't, I don't know how much detail we'll go in or any of that, but, but it, I'd say that for right now, I find comfort in prayer. Maybe that's a better way to say it is I find mm. comfort in prayer. Um, I don't go to church right now. And for me, that's been a struggle, honestly. It's been difficult not going. Um, it's hard. It's hard for me to find other ways to remain spiritually plugged in, if that makes any kind of sense. I find that it's difficult to maintain. That's maybe not the best way to say it. I feel like the Mormon church teaches you that your spirituality comes to you in a, in a specific written way and that there is this given formula of how you can remain close with God. And in taking a step away from the church, I feel like that formula has been broken. And so a small part of me is kind of not necessarily feels that it's wrong, but just a, a part of me feels that, you know, maybe I am a little spiritually dead. I don't know. But then a larger part of me is just kind of trying to find ways to explore that spirituality and find ways to remain plugged in without the three hours of Sunday and the church meetings. and the Your that. spiritual education, the, your, like, approach to being spiritual has is, is been through the Mormon church. Like, that's how we... Yeah. Right? And so when that but, breaks down a little bit for you, it's, like how do you remain spiritual how do i you still kind of back in the back of your head or at least i do it's like i would like well i have to do this this and this in order to be spiritual yeah but the formula doesn't work or like i don't necessarily like like 
wholesale buy the the formula anymore. Um, I get I get that. Well, and I think too that if you're raised in the church, your entire life is built upon this formula, and when that formula shifts, I mean it is just it's tearing the bedrock out from underneath you. Completely. Um, I remember when that bedrock came out from underneath me, because like the the church tells you what's right and wrong, and it's so nice. I started to appreciate that after the fact, once that was gone, it's like, I know what's right to do, and I know what's wrong to do. I know, like, I have this very strong sense of morals, like, morals, moral spectrum, you know? Yeah. But now that, like, that's ripped up from under me, all of a sudden, I was like, I don't actually know what is right, mm-hmm. and I don't actually don't know what is wrong. And, like, and I actually don't know how I figured that out. Yeah. And that was, at first, really dis disconcerting because i was like i don't know how to be a good human i don't know what to do i don't know how to like please my heavenly father type of thing yeah um i've i've moved on from that a bit quite a bit but that was really difficult um but i want to let's talk about how your faith crisis began ricky where did it where did that start happening for you um so I'm just going to talk, and you tell me to shut up if there's too much detail. I want detail. Okay. Um, I would say that it first really started when I got home from my mission, and I realized that I was still gay. <laughs> um, Did you know you were gay before your mission? I had never said it out loud. I, I, I never even said it in my head, I don't think. But I think deep down I knew. And in my mind, the mission was going to fix it. It was broken, and the mission was going to fix it. Um, I mean, like I said before, I, by Mormon standards, I had done everything I was supposed to. I had checked all of the boxes. Um, you had checked, like, not just all the boxes, but, like, the secondary, tertiary boxes. Yeah. The hidden boxes. Yeah. The options on the options on the options. Yeah. You'd done it all. And when I came home from my mission and I was still gay, I, I honestly, it was, I thought, okay, well, this is a, this is a challenge. This is a trial. This is something I'm going to have to fight. And so I did for, gosh, what you get back when you're 21. So probably for three years, four years, I guess. Hmm. Um. went on lots of dates had girlfriends did everything I was supposed to and uh, it never it just never felt real it just felt like we were playing house I don't know how else to describe hmm. it it was. It just never felt real that's interesting to me because we were roommates after the mission and yeah. I, mean, I was too terrified to I say anything to anyone and I don't think you're any foreigner. I think you realize this about yourself, but you didn't have any issues like going on dates. You didn't have any <laughs> issues attracting <laughs> girls. <laughs> Definitely well, no I issue. I think you. Had, yeah, I think your that. issue was you had too many girls clamoring <laughs> over you uh, at any given moment. I don't think I agree with that. But anyway, well, I mean, from my perspective, I I kind of picked up on that. I was like, Ricky <laughs> goes on a lot of dates, and like. He has a lot of he has a lot of like fangirls, <laughs> but he doesn't. None of them seem to like really stick. Yeah, none of them stuck ever. 
And I know that was like year after year. And it's, and it's weird. This is all from a Mormon perspective. Like, it's fine if you're 25, 26, 27, 28 and still not married or whatever. Like, that's completely normal. But like in Mormon land, it was like you're 23 and you haven't had like a solid girlfriend for four years. Like, right. what's wrong with you? Right. Um, I didn't think there was anything wrong with you, by the way. I just that's just an example. Oh, I thought I knew there was something wrong with me. Okay, okay, okay. Um, no, I was just, I just wanted to throw in that perspective real quick. Um, so you were dating girls. So I was dating girls. I was doing everything I was supposed to. And I can remember an exact experience where I went out with a girl who was on the BYU ballroom dance team. She was gorgeous. She was studying mathematics at crazy, bajillion times smarter than I am. Um, and it 100% should have been a thing. And I remember like dropping her off at her apartment. And and I can't... She Just the way she looked at me, I felt so guilty because I knew that I didn't feel the way that she did about me. Mm. And so I broke it off. Like out of nowhere, I totally broke it off. Um... And I thought a ton about that, about, you know, why that was and what was going on. And I and and I can't put an exact date on it. I was I was probably 24 at the time. What were what were you? Explain a little bit more like. I kind of lost my train of thought. What were you thinking or why? Why did you break it off? What? What had you realized about yourself or hadn't realized about yourself? I realized that I couldn't picture myself being with her. Like, I, 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 the thought of marrying her terrified me. The thought of... And she didn't feel that way. How would, how did, how do you think she felt before you broke it off? She felt like we were totally in it. Wow. Um... And it, and that's probably not even the right way to describe it as to why I broke it off. It, it's just I – you see in the movies and, and you have this thing described to you of the way that you feel when you're around, you know, the person that you're going to marry or whatever. And to me it was – she was a really good friend. You know, we made out, and but she was like a really good friend. I was not attracted to her. And I always thought, you know, oh, maybe it's just because I'm bored or whatever. And maybe maybe I'm just weird or I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just bored. And so I tried dating another girl or something. But it wasn't until this girl when I was driving home and I sat in the parking lot. And I just thought, this is a problem. <laughs> and I remember having that thought and just thinking, this is a problem. And... I think that that is probably the first time when I inwardly admitted to myself you 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 might be gay <laughs> you and and just I couldn't I couldn't say it flat out to myself but I just had to admit it um mm. anyway so I'm sorry there's probably way too much detail here again no I, this is perfect detail um did you I want to interject again right now, yeah. but don't lose your train of thought. Okay, I won't. Um, you admit to yourself that you're gay. 
very softly right there in that moment, right? You, I don't know if you said it out loud, but you thought that to yourself. It was yourself. all in my head, I thought. It was all in your head. <laughs> At that point, did, ha, did you still think that being gay was a choice? Being gay was some something like synonymous with a disease or some kind of biological mishap? Or was it something that was like, I was born this way, I was made this way, this is how I was intended? I don't know that I, I could even say that I was thinking at that level. I mm. think all I could say is, in that time, to me, it was a trial that God gave me that I had to defeat. And you had finally it's accepted it for yourself that like, okay, this is a trial that this I have. This is something I have to beat. Like, I have to kill this. Hmm. And you're around 24 and you had spent your whole life going 150% and you'd still, you still felt like that. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Okay. Let's, let's move forward. Um, so I don't know for probably the next year, um, I was dating, going on dates with girls on and off. And my aunt well, actually, that's not true yet. So all I remember, <clears throat> I was working, <clears throat> excuse me. So I was working at the office of IT at BYU. And there was a guy who I saw pretty consistently who he, I, for a while, because I'm completely oblivious, was like, this idiot keeps breaking things all the time. Like, I do not understand what his deal is. Like, what is going on? When you say seeing him, you meant just seeing him at work every day. Yeah, or okay. well, I'd see him. He not, was not like seeing as in like we were seeing. Yes, each other. no, no, no. Like I, I would see him, honestly, only ever whenever something was broken, and I'd have to go up and take care of it. And so I remember like going up there one day, and I was helping him. I don't even remember what was wrong, and we just started talking. And Dane, I swear to you, like I remember sitting there and my face getting hot and me turning red and I'm just like, what, what is this? What, what is going, I've never, what is, and I remember walk, and I remember just very abruptly being like, I gotta go. <laughs> just like walking out of the room and like going down to my office and sitting there and, and just thinking, okay, what just happened? Like, I don't understand. And, um, had you experienced something like that before? Those type of feelings? No. I mean, I think that I had gotten excited or I, I'm not going to lie to you. Th there were girls that I would get excited about or be nervous around, but not. It was totally different. And I can't even describe to you how or why it just it was totally different. I think I could relate to that. It's like as if I were to go make out with a boy right now, I'd be like, OK, if I go make out with a girl, I'd be like, OK, <laughs> I get it. It'd be totally different. Well, so that's part of the story, though. So, Ooh, okay. I, we, we got to talking and I realized that I liked it when things were broken and that I would spend more time up there talking to this guy. And after a while I was like, you know, I, I wonder, I wonder if he's gay. Maybe he's gay. I don't know. And honestly, I don't remember 
where or how, but I found, like, I had heard about this app called Hornet. Um, I don't even know if it's around still. I don't know. But it was supposed to be, it was like where all of the underground Mormon gays were. Ooh. And so I was like, you know what? I will download this and I will just see if he's on there. So I downloaded it, installed it, did not upload a picture because I'm a pansy. And I'm like walking through campus and I pull the app out and lo and behold, he pops up. He's on it and he's like 50 feet away. And I'm like, this is him. I know it's him. So I like pull out the phone. I pull up his picture. It takes me like 15 minutes to even just say hi. Um, and then after I said hi, he responded and I send a picture of myself. And as I hit send, I like, I freaked out. Um, and immediately regretted that terrible decision. <laughs> That wasn't a terrible decision. No, no. And in in with in retrospect, I realized that that was kind of my first, I think, real action of realizing, hey, you like dudes. Um, I I think that was that was kind of the first step in that. Anyway, so we started talking. Um, we ended up going on a date. Um, and I remember thinking like oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like? Like, this is how, this is what excitement before a date feels like? Like, not dread, and not, oh my gosh, this is going to go horribly again, or oh my gosh, what happens if this girl actually ends up liking me? Like, it's just going to lead to drama, and this is just going to be terrible. But it was a, oh my gosh, what if he actually likes me? This is kind of exciting to think about. This is, it was like a totally different paradigm shift that happened. Well, there's a lot to unpack right there. So are you saying when you go on dates with girls, you would feel its feelings like dread, scared, yeah. mm -hmm. n nervous, not in the good way, or like, and or that f the feeling you mentioned like, oh, this is just going to end up poorly again. Yeah, this is just going to not end well. But I would do it anyway because I was hopeful that maybe I would find wow. the one or a one that would end differently. So you go on this date and you're like, Oh, this is what a date feels yeah, like. Yeah, and then at the end of the date, he kissed me. Oh. And I, I mean, it's so stupid, but it was fireworks. It was, this is what I've been missing out on for 24, 20, I guess at that point I was 25. So this is what I've been missing out on for the past 25 years of my life. And, um, yeah, I like we wa I w walked him to his door or whatever and I got out in the FJ and I just started crying <laughs> like I had a full on breakdown there in the parking lot for probably a good half hour um because it was in that moment that I realized what I had missed out on I realized what I wanted and I realized that life was about to get really complicated, like really complicated. And actually that's a lie because I was probably still 24 at that time. And over the next year, oh, and to add to the complications, I was elders quorum president at the time. Holy flip. Um, so let's give me kind of a, like a, 
an idea for where your faith is at this point. Like, what's happening to your faith? Because this is all part of your faith crisis. So that that point, oh, that point, I was questioning things. Um, I still believed the church. I still believed it was true. To be honest, Dane, eighty percent of me believed that kissing that guy was wrong. I was having a freak out about that. Um, you have these feelings where you're like. I've never felt like this before. It feels so real. It feels so great. It feels so exciting. And then you're also having these other overwhelming feelings that you've been inculcated with. This is wrong. This is sin. Yeah. This You shouldn't be doing this. this yeah. God is not happy with you. This was the beginning of this internal battle that I had for years. That's so intense. Um, and I've honestly never talked about it or thought about that until just now. But yeah, that that is the beginning of when it all started. Because over the next year... Um, I was still serving as elders quorum president for most of that time. Yeah, no, for actually all of that time. Um, and I was going on dates with guys and I was going on dates with girls and I was just all sorts of confused. I was just, I was a mess. Uh, it, yeah, I was a total mess. Um, but after that year, so this would have been right before I graduated. So I was... So this is 2015, a couple months after I turned 25. What I have found in my life is, I don't know, a lot of people find a lot of different ways to let stuff out. For me, it's writing. Um, I write letters. That's how I, letters to myself, letters to whoever. You know, I, I write letters, and that's how I, and I find that pretty therapeutic. And so I was sitting at work one day, and I was a mess. I was on the early shift, so I was the only one there. And I found myself writing this letter to my parents um, about everything. Um, just finally letting it all come out. Talking about how long I had felt that way. Um, talking about how the mission hadn't fixed it and how I was so sorry. And um, I just remember saying sorry a lot in the letter. <laughs> I still have it. Um, and I... I remember like telling them I'm gay and I, but at the end of it, I said something along the lines of, but I, I still choose the church. Like I still choose the church over this. And then I sent it without even thinking. You um, actually sent it. Yeah. And I remember sitting there and thinking, Oh my gosh, what did I just do? And so I like tried to log into the mail server to see if I could stop it before it left and I literally watched the email go boop and it was gone and what were you feeling right then I can 100% say that never in my life have I been so terrified of anything ever um, and I knew and then and then hours went by and each second is just like an eternity where and my parents said nothing oh. hours went by um anyway um so a few hours later i got i think it was an email from my mom or a text i can't remember and she basically just said hey i just want to let you know that we love you and we'd love to talk to you that's a good response. Yeah, it was a really good response. 
And so I called them back, and we had a really good long cry and a talk, and um, and then they knew from that point on. Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, maybe not weirdly enough, I shouldn't say that. I, from the get-go, I think my dad took it a lot easier than my mom did. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was all sorts of confusion, and working through all of that was a mess. Um but a few, like in May, I guess it was, um, we found out that my mom had been diagnosed with sarcoma, which is a super rare form of cancer that affects the soft tissues. Um, how, f- how, um, how much time is her diagnosis after you came out to her? Like, we're talking... I don't know, no more than six months. I honest, Jeez. I want to say that it was, it was, it was like th- probably three to four months, I think, if I remember right. That's way close. Yeah. So you come out to your parents. Yeah. They take it pretty well, it seems like. Yeah, they do okay. One better than the other, but more or less good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then your mom gets Which is di- a huge blessing, by the way. I want to yeah. call that out specifically. Of course, yeah. Then your mom gets diagnosed with. I can't remember what it was called. Sarcoma. Sarcoma. Okay. Take it from there. Um, and it was at the most advanced stage. <laughs> and and then for the next year and a half, our lives kind of, not kind of, our, our, our lives revolved around cancer. That's kind of. And so I... And I'm going to be really honestly bad at, at kind of summarizing everything that happened over this next year and a half because um, right when I graduated, I had an offer for Microsoft that I accepted, and it required me to move out to Charlotte, North Carolina. And when we got the diagnosis of sarcoma, you know, I was convinced, like, I'm going to tell him no. I, I have to tell him no. This is more important. I can't leave. Oh, so the diagnosis had come in. Prior to you going out to North Carolina? Yes. Uh-huh. Holy moly. Yeah. And so I I just decided this is how it's going to be. I don't know how it's going to work out, but it's going to work out. It's it's going to be fine. Um, I held it together really pretty good for, a, for probably two or three days. Um, I had a lot of frustration because I felt like a lot of people in – I feel like I was a lot of, I was the confidant for a lot of people in my family, and I didn't ever feel like I could let it out. Mm. And I have one aunt that I'm pretty close with, who, the first time I saw her, that's I, I, I was able to kind of start to let it out. And you, you could tell her about this job yeah. offer and everything, and just everything, yeah. Um, but it was it wasn't until I had to. She was in the hospital, and it wasn't until. Like, I can remember this night vividly where I ran up the stairs to just kind of... I mean, it came out of nowhere. Um, I mean, she was going in for a, um, just n- normal checkup. Um, and we got this diagnosis, and so I had to run home and grab stuff for her so that she could stay at the hotel or the uh, hospital. And I remember running up the stairs, and they have, pict- like, wedding pictures hanging in their bedroom. In this front is of the this temple. is about your aunt, right? No, no, no. This is this is my mom still. So like, I had to run home. Okay, so that's just I just wanted to make sure. So that yeah, 
Your so, mom's in the hospital. Yeah, so my mom, so the diagnosis came. It was completely unexpected. Um, she was just going in for a hysterectomy. Hmm. Um, right? <laughs> Am I saying? Yeah, hysterectomy. Sounds right. Yeah. And and they found this. They found, I mean, the cancer was everywhere. So ran home, ran up the stairs to, you know, just grab clothes and just stuff that she needs since they were going to keep her in the hospital. And I remember looking at the picture of them hanging over their bed of them in front of the temple the day they got married. And I have, n- <laughs> I have never cried like that in my life. Like I, I, uh, it's just like all of the strength came out of me and I just collapsed on the floor and probably cried for a good 15 minutes and finally was able to get it all out. Um, and it d- kind of decided in that moment, I'm not going to Charlotte. <sighs> I think I was supposed to drive out there in July and I think the diagnosis came at like the end of May. And over a period of those few weeks, I did a lot of praying and a lot of thinking. And from my perspective, I always felt that it was going to be a long uphill battle, but that she'd fight and she'd win. And so I talked with her and I talked with my dad and, and my mom was like, just go. Like, you need to go. What are you going to do? Just sit here and like, what are you going to do? You need to do this. Hmm. So I flew out to Charlotte, and to be completely honest, um, so I, I started my training in Dallas, and that is the first that I ever really kind of explored being gay was when I was in Dallas. I knew no one. It was a new town. It was a new place. I was, and this kind of started the beginning of me just kind of being angry. I was really angry at God for the fact that I was gay. I was angry at God because he had given my mom, who had, as far as I am concerned, is one of the best people on planet Earth. She, I mean, has never done anything wrong in her entire life. Um, You know, especially followed the word of wisdom, did everything she was supposed to do, and she gets cancer. And that was kind of the beginning of me being real angry at God. And And what about with the church? I was never angry with the church because to me, the church was what was giving me comfort. It was what make was what was making me feel that it would somehow all be okay. But I knew that I was angry at God. Hmm. And so I kind of stopped praying for a while there and really started to like the front that I have not been on a single date with another girl since I moved to Dallas in I guess, what was that, July of 2015. Um, Hmm. Did my training out there and then moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Traveled a lot for work, did a lot of different things. And I'm so sorry, Dane, this story is going on forever. No, I like it. I would have stopped you. Okay. Um, Moved to Charlotte and was like, you know what? I'm gay. I'm going to do this. I'm going to see what Hmm. this is about. So I dated like crazy. Really? Yeah. I dated like crazy, which was really difficult to do because I was roommates with two super, super hardcore conservative LDS guys. Oh. And so I was constantly lying all the time. Lying all the time. Who are you going out with? What's going on? Blah, 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 blah. And if you're going on dates all the time and you're living with two LDS dudes, they're going to be like... Oh, tell you, tell me about her. Like, yeah, is it serious? Like, wow, man, yeah. you're going on a lot of dates. Like, is it with the same girl? Like, and so basically, I just changed the gender whenever I'd talk about it. 
that was how I would talk about it. I would just, instead of saying he, you know, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I went on this really awesome date. She's a nurse, and, you know, she works at the at primary children's down in, you know, just that kind of stuff is how mm-hmm. I talk about it. Which which probably felt really authentic to them, like they wouldn't have been. A, yeah, and it and felt that. halfway authentic to me because for the first time in my life, I was going on dates with people that I was actually interested in, and I was getting to talk about it, kind of. Yeah, and you were excited to talk yeah, about and it. I was ex- and you were I was excited. Yeah, exactly. Did they ever pick up on that they weren't actually girls? Nope. Whoa. I'm a dang good actor. That's really dang good. <laughs> I mean, they never said anything, and they've never said anything since. I I don't think they know. Uh, we have mutual friends who know that I'm gay, um, and they're like, "Yeah, your roommates still don't know." So I mean, not that it matters if they don't know. I, I never. No, mind. I. But but that's the weird thing about this whole thing, Dane, is that to me it did matter. I did not want anyone to know. Um, I just didn't want anyone to know. That that to me gives me a, another snapshot of where you are with where you were with your faith crisis. Then, it's like. You're still you're still attached to your faith, to your yeah. church, to yep. your beliefs. I was. I was. It's your everything, but at the same time, your everything can't include you. Yeah. Your everything doesn't have a solution or a path. Yep. For who you are. Yep. And that's something yet. I'm maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but you probably like, like, I'll figure it out slash kind of push it to back to your head. I'm just gonna explore it and not think about how the two can connect or be exactly like compatible in one ecosystem exactly and up through let's see september october of 2016 so it was a good chunk of time a good year year and a half ish of time where i just explored it and would feel guilty and then you know i'd stop for a little while and i'd go to church and i'd try and do what i was supposed to and i do and it was just a, a very cyclical thing and during that time we kept getting worse and worse news about my mom um and before we got the diagnosis that it was terminal uh, a few months before we had got another batch of bad news the treatments that seemed to be working weren't and that it was getting worse and i remember hanging up the phone i left work early that day and i just drove um and I remember just thinking, oh, my gosh, is it my fault? Like, did I do this? Is am I like, is God punishing her or like, is this is my faith somehow not effective enough because of what I'm doing in the way that I'm living? And so I that Sunday, I marched into the bishop's office and I sat down and I told him everything. I told him everything I had done. And what did he say? Um. So he, (laughs) the bishop was a really good guy. I could tell that he was a little uncomfortable, but he was a really good guy and he handled it well and I never felt judged, but I never felt helped either. But in his defense, it's because I told him, like, I'm done with this for right now. Like, I I choose the church. Like, I I 100% choose the church. I can't, I can't keep doing both. I choose the church. I don't know what this means anymore. Like I'm playing this back in my head, and I just remember me saying, I choose the church over and over and over again. And I found solace in that. I don't, I felt some peace in that. And so I thought, okay, maybe this is my answer then. 
Um, so it was a few months after that. Uh, I guess it had to have been in, I don't know, August or September when we got the news that basically it was done. There was not much else they could do. It was terminal. You know, they gave her, you know, weeks to months to live. And, um, and that led to another kind of rock being pulled out from underneath me of, of my faith. That bedrock's crumbling even more. Um, and I'll be honest, a little part, of, and I know now logically it does not make sense, but at the time I was just, I, I just could not get the thought out of my head that somehow this was at least partially my fault. That my prayers hadn't worked, that my faith wasn't good enough because I'd given in, you know, and, and that tore me up. Isn't it unbelievable? I mean, I'm assuming you've moved on from that standpoint, but from that idea, but isn't it unbelievable that you thought you were the cause or the the reason why your mom was being punished with cancer? You thought that God, like because you were gay and you weren't good enough, even though you had been given 150% your whole life, he was punishing you by giving your mom cancer. That was the only, that was the only logical black and white box that I could stick that in. It was the only thing that fit that black because, and white right and wrong paradigm. Well, because because she had done everything she was supposed to. I'd never even heard my mom curse. Like I I had never heard her I mean she did everything she was supposed to all the time. And for me, I was the part of the formula that was broken. And and I think that deep down I knew that that wasn't necessarily true, but it that it was a fear of mine. You know, worst case scenario, it's my fault. You know, that's kind of how I talk to myself. Well, it was a way that you m- kind of made it work in your head, too. Yeah. It's like this is at least some way that I can. It's how the only way I could explain it. Right. So um, <laughs> I'm going to apologize now. This is a little close to home. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, a few nights before she passed the last conversation that we had um, I, I want to be clear when I say this my mom I have never doubted that my mom loved me even though I told her I was gay I have no doubt of that I have no doubt that she would have supported me you know that she would have loved me regardless but I struggled because I felt like my my parents were both supportive, but I only felt like my dad accepted it. And what I mean by that is that my dad accepted that it it was me, it was a part of me, it was this thing, and my mom, I just always kind of felt like it it was a phase with her where she just kind of thought, okay, this is a thing he's facing right now but he can beat it. He can overcome it. Me and my mom, I think kind of had that same mindset. And a few nights before she passed the last, I mean the last conversation that we had, um, was me saying, I don't ever want to disappoint you. And her saying, I remember her exact words were, honey, you could never disappoint me. But my biggest fear is that you'll lose your testimony 
and that you'll walk away from the church. And that was the last thing my mom ever said to me. Um, and the night she died, we were all there. Um, and honestly, it was a it was a very 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 sad night, but but it was a very peaceful night. Um, and and that can lead to a whole other conversation. But I I truly do believe there's an afterlife. Um, but the night she died, that is when I think my fa- I allowed my faith to fully crumble. And I I could no longer in my mind hold it all together i i was angry (laughs) i was so angry i was angry that she was dead i was angry that god had taken her from me when i needed her i was angry about our last conversation i was angry that those were her expectations for me i was angry about the fact that i that god had did all of this to me and I was just angry and I was done. And for months I didn't pray because in, in my mind I was like, he's just going to do what he wants to do anyway. So what's the point? Why even bother? Um, and it shattered. It shattered because I had felt that he had told me that it would be okay, that she would survive. She had had priesthood blessings saying that she would beat this. She, I mean, all sorts of different things and none of it came true. And, and that for me, was what shattered everything in that moment did you still attach like your mom dying your mom having cancer to you being gay like as a as a form of god punishing you no no i don't think so i mean i think in that moment the only thing that i felt was (laughs) just rage and I think you can, I think Dane can, can vouch for me here. I'm not an angry person. Like, no, not at all. That is not my default by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, but that is heavy stuff. And I was livid. I was livid. And I remember having a conversation with my, my grandmother, my mom's mom. And I remember her saying, oh, honey, like you, you can't be mad at God. And I remember thinking, hell yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. Um, you're that is a an amazingly heavy and powerful story. Like what is what happened to you there? Like that gives me the chills thinking about that. Your mom's last words to you were, "I'm worried that you will lose the faith and leave the church." Yeah, and she's saying that to you, and like your mom is your your biggest champion. You love your mom. She loves you. And she's saying this at this very critical moment for you in terms of like you're realizing that you're gay, you're starting to accept it, you, you know, taking steps into reconciling what it means to be Mormon and gay. And like that really, I just couldn't imagine if my mom told me that on her deathbed and I was gay or whatever, I would have such a hard like that would really cause some dissonance in my head. Like like what do I do now? If I leave the church, I disappoint my mom. Mm-hmm. If I stay in the church, I disappoint myself. 
Does that make sense at all? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's exactly I how you felt, but that's like what's going on in my head I right think, now. I think no, I think that's that's pretty closely aligned with how I felt. I think for I think f- for me it was if I leave the church, if I live this lifestyle, if I keep going down this path, I disappoint my mom. I do the exact opposite of what she told me she didn't want me to do. And is my happiness worth that? Like, is 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 what I want or what I think I want right now worth it? How do you answer that question? Dane, I still struggle with that sometimes, to be totally honest. I mean, I... I I'm a lot more stable right now. I I actually ended up going and talking to a therapist um, Good. a while ago. I loved him. He was a, a therapist at BYU who I got connected with through a, a friend who is a psychologist herself. And I remember sitting in there and I was thinking that it was going to be this magical fix that he'd be able to help walk me through it. And, and he said, well, it sounds like we just need to make you feel okay about the decisions that you're making. And that's what we need to do. That's what we need to process. And it was very logical. And it, it, it sounds so simple, but at the time, it was a complete aha. It was a, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I need to do. Can, can you do that? <laughs> can you... Can you can you help? Is there a pill for that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I remember, like, the day after she died, my boyfriend at the time was actually in town. Wait, you didn't tell me you had boyfriends. Oh, yes. I knew you were dating, but okay. Yeah, no, so my... Okay, hold on, is this true? This would have been... You had a boyfriend at the time? So I had a guy that I was seriously dating when I first moved out to, like, that I had found out in Dallas for a while. And then towards the end of my time in Charlotte, there was a guy that I was dating seriously, but I broke that off because mom was dying and I was gay. And if I broke it off, it would all be okay. It would, it would, I'd be forgiven. It would all be okay. Um, and then when I came back home, I started talking with this person that I had known from Salt Lake for a while and we kind of hit it off and then we ended up dating. Um, and he ended up, it ended up being that he was actually in Vegas like the day before for like the day before she died and a couple days afterwards for a work conference I had no idea Um, and I I remember texting him and letting him know that she passed Um, and he's like hey I'm in town do you want to talk and at that point I wasn't ready to but the next day I was and um, I remember I was so confused and so lost when I went over, but all I knew is that I just wanted, I just wanted comfort in the, I just wanted to be held. I just, I, Mm -hmm. and so I went over to his hotel room and I am pretty sure that I think I just laid there and he just kind of held me for probably two hours when I just Mm -hmm. probably sobbed uncontrollably, which kudos to him gold star for that guy, because I just, yeah. Anyway, and I remember laying there and and just thinking like this feels so 
right like this right now this this intimate thing that is happening the fact that like i am not that i am letting myself be this kind of vulnerable around this person like how can this be wrong this feels so right and it just crushed me all the more in that moment thinking like yeah but this is wrong you know this this is wrong how can this be wrong but it is but it is yeah but it is but and, and you don't actually think it's wrong though like no 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 uh, you, but no. you're saying like I, but in the moment yeah in the moment like that was all i could unpack like all i could do was i don't care that this is wrong i need this right now and god took my mom and so he's just gonna have to get over it right now you still so back then you were still thinking you still had that i, I call it a complex but you're deep down you're feeling this is wrong all you I didn't knew, know dane all i knew was my default like i i, I didn't know i didn't what? know what um okay go on there i have a question for you but i'm gonna let you continue for a sec so um okay so i'm gonna keep talking and and I'm just going to let things come out and well okay let me answer my ask, ask okay. my question first. What are you really scared of? I you've you've said this to me before when we chat er, chatted a couple of days ago last week related to your mom. Oh, I'm terrified that I'm going to die and that I'm going to get up to heaven and I'm going to see my mom and she's going to say you did so good but you chose wrong. Like, and logically, most of the time, Dane, I realize and hope and have faith and pray that that is, is not the case. But a small part of me is terrified. How do you deal with that? Wrong. How do you deal with that? <laughs> I don't this is your mother it. who you know who loves you to the ends of the earth and then times infinity. But you're scared that. And that it's it's. Of course, it's even worse that she's gone. That like you, you can never get that closure. You can never. It's all going to be internal for you to figure out. All right, she accepts me for who I am. Well, so this is. This is part of the story that I hesitate. To share, but I. We can redact it if you want. Okay, so I. <laughs> So she died in November of 2016 um, on the 19th. So what is that? Like a few days before Thanksgiving. Mm. Really didn't feel like I had much to be thankful for that year. Um, and then for Christmas, which was like my mom. So my birthday is December 3rd. And she always went out of her way to make sure that my birthday was really special and wasn't overshadowed by Christmas. And so December was really terrible. <laughs> And we all ran away for Christmas. We went on a cruise, like Christmas Day. We just ran away on a cruise. And then I flew directly from Miami after the cruise back home to Charlotte. And I just worked. I didn't do anything else. I just worked. I was in the office at 6 or 7 a.m. and left at 8 or 9. And I just worked. And that was how I dealt with it. And so I was doing a lot of traveling for work and I was just ignoring absolutely everything. And come February, um, I 
had a trip to Rochester, New York for, I can't even remember who it was, but to do some, some work out there in Rochester. And we ended up finishing like two days early. And I decided that I would try and do some sightseeing. And I remember sitting there in Rochester and just thinking, there is literally nothing to do in Rochester, New York. And I remember like pulling up TripAdvisor, I think it was, and the church history sites popped up with like the Smith Farm and um, the Hill Cumora and the site of where the Book of Mormon was first published and uh, the Sacred Grove, especially all of that. That's all up there? That's all up there. Yeah, I think oh. it's like a 40-minute drive or something. <sighs> and so me, I was like, I feel pretty spiritually dead. Maybe. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Maybe I'll burn, but I'm going to go and see if I feel better. So so I, I went and I visited a whole bunch of the sites. And I think I did feel something, to be totally honest. I felt, I don't know if it was just the mental thing of returning somewhat to my roots that made me feel better, but I, I found some comfort in it. But it wasn't until, so mind you, this is February in Rochester, and it was really cold and freezing that year. Did the Smith tour, whatever, um, and then pulled up to, like, this the, the final Smith farm, I guess, where the, like, in front of the Sacred Grove, where the Sacred Grove is now today. And the thought occurred to me, I have a, a good friend who, her, she lost her mom to cancer years before. And I remember her asking, like, do you talk to her? Like, do you talk out loud to your mom? And I was like, no, that's, that's weird. I, I don't do that. But that thought occurred to me as I was pulling up to the Sacred Grove. And I remember sitting in the car and just saying out loud, well, mom, so I'm here. And if ever there was a time that I would like to fill you, it would be right now. Like, this would be the time. Like, I'm going to go walk through all this stuff, and if you want to come with me, that'd be great. So I remember, like, we did the tour of the Smith Farm. It was only me. There was no one else there. It was just me and the missionary couple, like, going through this. And they sent me out into the Sacred Grove, and I was freezing. It was so cold. <laughs> I forgot a scarf, and I was wearing these really just terrible shoes for it and I was freezing but I was like dang it I'm gonna walk through the sacred grove <laughs> yes you are and I remember um, walking down one of the paths and all of a sudden I had to turn around to make sure that my mom wasn't behind me. It was just it was just this overwhelming presence that she was there. And and for the first time in I don't even know, Dane, 3 years I felt peace. Like I felt I just felt completely I don't know how else to describe it other than the fact that like I was so warm and I was so just completely at peace. My mind, I don't think you like my mind was constant in the back of my mind. There was always this, this is the way you are, but it's wrong. But this you're you know, it feels so good, but it's wrong. And, and it was just this constant internal battle back and forth. And for, I think the, the, from that moment until I got back to my car, 
it was like my brain had just been completely shut off. And in in that moment, I don't think, in that moment, I thought that it was my mom saying, hey, you're going to be okay. Let's get your life together. Come back to church. You know, do all these things, which I did. I broke up with my boyfriend and came back to church and did everything. But in retrospect, as I've thought about that over, you know, the years, I I truly believe that that was my mom telling me, I love you, I accept you, just live your life and be happy. And... I am so grateful for that because I I I honest I can't imagine that I would be where I'm at right now if that hadn't happened. Because I still so, like like we had talked about still to this day I sometimes worry that I'll get up there and you know God and my mom, I don't know, weirdly enough she'll be up there with him too, like judging me at the same time. Um <laughs> <laughs> and he'll start to say something and she's like, "No, no, no, no. You did really good." You were wrong, but you tried, you know, and, and that's kind of and that's kind of a thought that occurs to me every once in a while. And and it becomes less and less as as time goes on. But I'm so grateful for that experience because I feel like that was the last interaction that my mom and I have had. And I haven't felt close to her or anything like that since. But that those were her last words. Those to you. were her last. And it's hard sometimes because it's the last actual words that she said to me were, please, I'm terrified that you're going to leave the church. And this other thing was just a feeling that I've had finally had time to process. And I, I think that that's what it meant. And I hope that's what it meant. And so sometimes I kind of have to battle that still, but, but I'm still grateful for that experience. Um, I'm really glad you shared that. That's a really powerful experience. And it actually makes me really happy that you had another interaction with your mom. Because like, I, I was like heartbroken hearing that just how she left her final words with you. And it was just you being angry with God. And that's just an immense burden to bear. That's just, I can't process like how to process that. <laughs> yeah, neither did I for those right? like four months. And, but I find it like really poetic that her last words were I'm really worried that you're going to leave the church that you're going to embrace who you are and leave the faith but then you had this moment at the epicenter of Mormonism right where it all began so to speak and you had this moving spiritual like very deep experience and it was it was the opposite message it was I love you for who you are. It's like, I accept you type of thing. I don't think there's something really like purely poetic about that. Um, and like given our whole conversation here about things are black and white, I don't know. I think that just really f fits well with all of that, that theme. I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but it's... There is... <laughs> in the sacred grove which is supposed to be a black and white experience that, you know, 
teenager mormon teenagers and i mean that's kind of like our mormon pilgrimage that you you go to the sacred grove to find out the truthfulness of the church and i'd never been before and for me my pilgrimage to the sacred grove was getting a confirmation from my mom that you being gay is not your fault it's okay i love you live your life and be happy and and i i called my dad and told him about it um and and i feel bad because no one else in my family has have, have felt any presence from my mom and i haven't since but it's it's made me it's done a lot of things for me um my dad you know when i first told him was told me that he was supportive and that he'd love me and he'd love whoever I brought home and you know but that he still I mean he told me flat out he's like I, I think it's wrong but your dad said yeah that. he said yeah he said that um but you know uh, I don't even know how long ago a year ago I remember he and I were talking and and he said and I remember saying you know dad I, I know that you think it's wrong but and then he just very abruptly interrupted me and he said you know what Ricky I've seen you struggle with this. I've seen you wanting to do what's right and being very methodical and and not doing this double life thing and and all of that and um and I don't see how this could be wrong. He's like it, it, I mean he he told me, you know, it doesn't make sense in my head in like this eternal long plan. I don't know how, but this doesn't make sense to me, but this is He's like, I, I, I don't see how this could be wrong. And that was a huge step for me. And, and as, you know, a after the funeral and, and after all of that, and I decided that I needed to leave Charlotte and kind of move back west to be close to my family. And I ended up back in Utah and have been here for about a year. And, I've been working from home and that's like the worst thing in the world. I don't know how people do that. It's like, I am so impressed with people who can work from home because I go insane. Like it is just me, myself and I all day. A lot of times you go stir crazy and I go completely stir crazy. So work wise, it has not been a great year, but personal wise, this has been an amazing year because this year, the same thing that drove me to come out to my immediate family drove me to come out to, really everyone you know everyone that I have a relationship with I didn't I don't feel a need to do it over Facebook or, or anything like that I wanted to have a personal conversation or at least a personal note or something and and so I was tired of living that double life of lying to aunts and uncles when they'd say oh, have you been on any dates or do you, can I set you up or you know all that and and I told all of them and I have also been really blessed to where I have had nothing but support uh, weirdly enough, I had an aunt who's like, yeah, and an aunt and uncle who are like, yeah, we always kind of knew. And I was like, weirdly offended. I was like, <laughs> but I tried so hard. <laughs> like, like I should have gotten an award for how straight I was acting. I don't understand. Um, <laughs> but now I, like, honestly, Dane, I, I am, I'm me. I'm finally me now. And 
everyone who needs to know knows. We have mutual friends now who finally know. Um, I finally know the yeah. true Ricky Poland. Yeah, you finally know. Yeah, I told you what a year ago. You yeah. knew. You knew before my extended family knew. Yes. Yeah. Um, and now it's, you know, my. Uh, I struggled with my mom's parents because they're very staunch conservatives. Grandpa's a patriarch and has served in the temple since I was born, I think, and and they've been very accepting. You know, there's of course little things that they say here and there that you just kind of have to brush off but but everyone has been supportive and i've been so incredibly lucky i've been so lucky and and now we're in this new chapter of life where you know my dad is talking about marrying this lady that he's dating and and now i'm like well does she know like do i have to tell her or will you and (laughs) oh that's like and what what do you do about that and what happens if she has a problem with it like my dad really likes this girl and he better choose me over her, but then I'm going to feel real guilty if that breaks <laughs> things up, you know? It's like what we talked about a week ago, too. It's like, I don't get on a on a platform and say, hey, everyone, I'm heterosexual. Exactly. My preferred mate of choice is a woman. Yeah. Like, I don't do that, so why would you have to do yeah. that? But, uh, it's, but I mean, a, it's a funny, it's kind of a funny predicament. It's <laughs> just that heteronormative culture that we live yeah. in, and I get that, and... And, you know, I also have to remind myself that the homosexual population is a very small, you know, portion of of -hmm. people that live on planet Earth. And in retrospect, you know, I've I've asked myself and God a lot of times and I've never gotten an answer from him, but I've asked him a lot. Why am I gay? Like, why? Why was this my thing? And what I've noticed is I've had experiences where. You know, members of the church who know that I'm gay have come up to me and have said, and uh, this is not meant to toot my horn at all, but they've just said things like, you've done everything you're supposed to your whole life, and you're gay. This is this completely changes the way that I think about gay people. I have, I mean, one of my very own uncles told me, I'm shocked. He's like, and he, this man could talk for hours he never runs out of words and he was speechless and he's like i have to unpack this i have to think about this i because you've completely changed my beliefs about a gay person and he's like because you very clearly did not choose this and so i think that maybe i have a lot of weird thoughts maybe maybe god made people gay so that someone could take care of the orphans of the world or maybe maybe god made people gay so that you know we could teach people some tolerance but what i can say personally is what i have learned from finally accepting myself and who i am and and dealing with all of this is that it has made me a better person and has made me more capable of love and understanding and acceptance of, you know what? I don't understand, necessarily understand you or your experiences or your choices. So help me understand. I love what you, how your uncle reacted to that. It's like, I've seen you grow up, Ricky. You've done everything right. And I don't understand this. It's like, I know that you didn't choose this. That is such a big win 
for the LGBT Mormon community, the LGBT community at large, because that's that prejudice, that that prejudgment, that an Orthodox Mormon, a conservative Mormon, a typical Mormon has about gay people. They think they've chosen sin over true happiness. They've chosen to... They think that they can choose. I've, I've talked with so many people that say that, and it really hurts me when they're like, oh, and then they, they, they're talking about like their nephew or something. Like, oh, yeah, and he, then he chose to be gay. And I'm like, I don't think he chose to be gay. Trust me, if it was a choice, none of us would have chosen this. Why? Why on earth would we choose this? Because it's cool? That's, it's... Like, I, that has never made sense to me. Why would I choose the harder path? I'm not a hipster. Right. I, right. I <laughs> That's not like... It's like being in high school. I had friends who chose to be vegan because it was trendy. Right. <laughs> this is this is like almost the same. <laughs> That's really powerful. That I'm really passionate about LGBT topics, and it's difficult. The type like how stubborn and how conservative people are. Because they think that they're right. They think they have the answers for other people. And that's a very dangerous position to be rooted in. But hearing that, the way you, your family's reacted and the way your uncle's reacted, is like, there's hope that stuff like this can change and can happen. Um, and maybe that's why I was born into a super conservative, orthodox, you could use, I guess, Mormon family. And maybe that's why I was a boring teenager is so that my family would know that without a doubt of anyone, Ricky shouldn't be gay, but he is. That leads me to one of my final questions with you and is, what is truth? How would you define truth? So you asked me this question when we were talking at the mission reunion. And I have been thinking about it a lot. All right. Just make sure to start it with, like, I think truth is or truth is or truth means whatever. I think truth is your truth. I think that there obviously each of us have a moral compass. Killing people is bad. Stealing is bad. Cheating on a spouse is bad. But I think that when it comes to those gray areas, it's up to you and God. I think for me, what has made me be able to finally look at myself in the mirror and not be completely disgusted is is realizing that God has never told me it's wrong. Ever. I've asked point blank so many times. And there have been times where I have been driving. That's my like spiritual place is when I'm driving and listening to music, I guess. But there have been times where I've been driving and and I have felt him say, it's okay. You're okay. It's going to be okay. And to me, that's what truth is. Truth is love. Truth is doing the best that we can with the knowledge that we have and loving everyone for who they are. 
even if they don't necessarily love who you are. I feel the same way. That's if you had asked me f- five, ten, three years ago, fifteen years ago, whatever. But truth was, I would have said, it's this black and white thing. It's there's a right and there's a wrong. There is one truth. It's objective. And now, overwhelmingly, my response is, truth is completely and utterly subjective. Yeah. It's a it's the most personal thing that we can have almost. And that's why I'm so grateful that really God is the one who will judge. Because if I were to die tomorrow, and if, worst case scenario, I did get up there and he was like, you lived a good life, but you were wrong about the gay thing, I would have no problem saying, well, you never told me. I always felt that it was right. Because that was the answer that I felt. That was the truth I felt. So, sorry. But I did it all believing that you and I were good. And that you and I, uh, just that you and I were good. That we were syncopated. That we, we were doing life together. Mm-hmm. If you could paint a picture of the church and how you feel, and the church can be like a more ambiguous term of your faith, your relationship with God, but I want you to paint me a picture like... What color is the sky? Is there a sky? Are there trees? What type of trees? Are there people? Out? Are there are there tons of people or no people? Like, what do we see? Like, give me a visual res- representation of where you're at, your faith, your your church, the Mormon church, and how you feel. Does that make sense? Yeah. I knew you were gonna ask me this question. How did you know that? I knew you were going to ask me, like, how I viewed the church right now. Well, you have to paint me a picture, so that's just how it is. So you want, like, of what, if I were in charge of the church, what it would look like? Let me tell you this. I don't know if this will answer your question. So I'm getting ready to move to Seattle. I think. And I have decided that I would like to go to church a couple times up there to see what it's like. Um, I miss it. I'll be honest. I miss it. And if the church tomorrow were to say, hey, you're gay and we're good with it. Um, I'd have to really think about it. <laughs> Because I, I honestly would probably, I would probably have a hard time not jumping back into it. You would have a hard time not jumping. Yeah. So it'd be easy for you to jump back into it? I say that, and I, I, I think so. Because I think that I still believe a lot of what they teach. I think... So what is this picture? Paint that picture for me. Like literally like what are the colors we see? What are we seeing? We are seeing a church. Give me a painting that represents how you see the church or how you feel about it. Oh, okay. I think that's the easiest way okay, to ask. Okay, how it. I feel about the church. Do I think that the church is the only true church on the earth? No. I don't. 
do I think that you have to be a member of the church to be saved or to end up in heaven or the highest kingdom or, you know, whatever you want to call it? No, I don't believe that. You asked me what truth was earlier, and I think that portions of the church are part of my truth and are things that I can get behind. I love the importance of the family that the church stresses. Um, I love that built into the church is a way to serve and to reach out and to help and to love people that are around you. I love that there's a built-in network of people wherever you go. I love, you know, for as bad of a rep as the church gets of not being loving and accepting, the people of the church are good people. And they are trying to do their best too. And all of them have their own struggles. And I get that. And and so I love them. And some of my, I mean, some of my absolute favorite people on the entire earth are Mormon. And I will always have a respect for the church because of that. But I no longer think that it is the only truth. That was a good answer. I don't know if I'll actually include this next part, but I actually literally want you to tell me as if you were painting a physical picture. Like, we see a white church building, and okay, there's storm clouds behind it. There's like, the sun is trying to shine, but it can't type of weird stuff like that. I want you to paint me a literal picture of how you feel about the church. It's very, it's, this is very abstract. Okay. I'd like to preface this by saying that I am not an artistic person. So here we go. I'm still going to make you do it anyways. <laughs> I picture, when I think of, when I think of, the church we're talking specifically LDS church right yeah okay today right now I if I were to paint a picture of the church I would be outside of the church building um it'd be a beautiful building it would be bright it would be bright colors there'd be flowers there'd be a welcoming path and if there were a way to somehow capture motion of all of the members of the church that I know, they would be in the painting. Some of them would be inside the church, deep, deep inside. Others would be in the lobby area with the doors open, waving maybe. And others would be outside of the chapel on that pavement and they'd all be looking towards me and they'd all be smiling and they'd all be waving in acceptance of my decision to take a step back for the time being. But all of them are in their own path in relationship to the church and all of us are supportive of each other's decisions. Hmm. 
That's beautiful. That's a really good painting. Super symbolic. I like that. Do you want to know what my painting would be? Yeah, actually, I do. I was thinking about what my painting actually would be because I asked people this question. I was like, oh, what would mine be? This is a really good question, by the way. Right? Yeah. I'm actually very proud of it. Mine would be the most muddled, inarticulate, ambiguous, maybe even melancholy, grayish color across a very large canvas. Like when you go to a museum and you see a painting and it's not like, like I drew on a piece of paper. It's like, this is like 30 feet by 50 feet. It's huge. It fills a whole wall. My Atlanta. Right. It's just huge. That's all it needs. That's all you need to know. But it's just like, it's not a consistent gray across. It's not just this opaque gray. It's muddled. At some po- at some points, it loses some of its opacity. Maybe even another color is trying to break through it. It's just the complete and utter color that's representative of like everything that's in between black and white put together. And then just like as if you took a brush that was wet with water and you just kind of like willy-nilly diluted parts of it or moved some of the, the paint across the canvas. So it's thicker in parts, it's thinner in parts. I think you get what I mean when you get that that symbolism behind that but that's that's just that's for me that's what the church is right now it's just this big gray like asymmetric thing it's not congruous doesn't make sense and i don't think it's meant to make sense and every single member of the church that i have talked to about this all of this stuff that we've been talking about tonight would tell you that that's okay. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Well, that's what I. That's all I had for interviewing you. You had some very amazing things to say, very profound, very moving stuff. Um. So yeah, thanks for thanks for spending an hour and a half in your car. <laughs> You're welcome. I would just like to mention that in the time that we've been sitting here passing, we have witnessed a couple of drag races happen on that road. We saw the cops kind of. We like saw the cops come and like. Did he? Did they actually that remove dude. that man who was sitting on? They that told wall? him to get out of there. He he walked away, but they apprehended oh. him. I thought for sure that they were coming for us. I don't know what they're going to. There tell were a couple us. moments when I was like, "All right, we're going to have to move the car." Yeah, exactly. 